the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Rocky. This month, we'll be talking about Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse by James Lucino, in which everyone gets to flash back to the Bantam days, where Skitter gets to be a hero, Leia has a bad day, and no one sings hapes, 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 so what's really even the point of this book? But anyways, grab your villa, tune in, and enjoy the show. <laughs> I have a hapes problem, guys, okay? This is we a have a lot of problems in this book, okay? <laughs> so many different kinds of problems. So many problems. I actually forgot hapes was in this book until I opened it completely randomly, but I'm actually yeah. impressed at the number of problems we managed to get into one book. Is there a prize for that? <laughs> Maybe? The no prize goes to Jedi Eclipse for causing... The most uh, lethargy and the most confusion in the same book. Yeah. Well, anyways, before we get into our discussion or further into our discussion, as a reminder to our to our listeners, here on the Voncast, we don't talk about spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read it yet, pause the recording, read the book, and then come back and join us. Unless you just don't care about spoilers or aren't reading along with us, which is fine, too. Like, you do you. But anyways, like we said before, we are talking Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse by James Lucino, which is a very imposing title, and that's not even all of its title, which means <laughs> this is my cue to read the back of the book in an overly dramatic voice. Okay. A string of smashing victories by the forces of the sinister aliens known as the Yuzen Vong has left New Republic resources and morale stretched to the breaking point. Leia Organa Solo, estranged from her husband Han, oversees the evacuation of refugees on planets in the path of the merciless invaders. Luke Skywalker struggles to hold the fractious Jedi Knights together, even while one of them undertakes a bold but reckless undercover mission. Manipulating their alliance with the Amoral Huts, the Yuzen Vong leave a cunning trail of vital information where New Republic agents are sure to find it. Information the desperate defenders cannot afford to ignore. The location of the alien's next target. Then Han Solo stumbles into the dark heart of a raging battle, thus beginning a furious race against time that, re- that will require every skill and trick in his arsenal to win. Dun, dun, dun. I think there, this blurb actually really... <laughs> it really gives a false impression of the importance of every character except Han here. Like, we see Leia in maybe three or four scenes, and we mm-hmm. see Luke in, like, two scenes. Yeah, but mostly yet, it's Han, and yet it also felt like a better description of what happens in the book than most of the other backs of the book so far. <laughs> like it somehow, is like, very accurate. It like really there's is. a lot going on. I'm like, ah, and I really should read the backs of these books before I pick them up to do the dramatic reading. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking that I don't often read them before we actually read them for the show because I. I know I'm going to read it. I don't really need to be convinced, but yeah. I think if someone did need to be convinced, especially for one of these in between, you know, it's not one of the ten full hardcovers. They've got the the names of the big three up there, so yeah. you know exactly who this book's about. And then you yeah. get into it, and it's kind of mostly about Orth Skitter and Vicky Shash and also Han Groma. Yeah. Although, let's be real, none of us 
ever read far enough in advance that by the time we get the book, we're all just going, oh, crap, crap, crap. We have to read it for the Voncast this week. So we don't have time to read the back of the book. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as we are all fast readers who are confident in our ability. <laughs> yes, we'll go with that. <laughs> I'm Megan. Also, yes. the other thing. Yeah. Yes, Megan, I Rocky. prefer to say that I procrastinate very well before reading. <laughs> Rocky's I like more to, honest. <laughs> I, I try to read it closer to the podcast so that way I remember everything. But uh, all right, which one of you guys would like to give your brief initial reaction to the book first? Ooh, I'll go first. You volunteered yourself. <laughs> uh, yes, I volunteer as tribute. Well, I'm mostly sure what happened, but that was a lot of complicated... It was really tangled, complicated, more ridiculous than I remember, but at the same time, a lot slower than I remember. And somehow, I don't actually know how, most of the loose threads got pulled together and tied up by the end. I'm actually very impressed with the last two or three chapters. I'm going, there is no way this is going to get cleaned up even marginally neatly. Oh, wait, it did. Do sex shatter point or not shatter point center point. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I also had to pause and Wikipedia center Wikipedia center point. I swear I can talk and like actually remind myself what that thing was, and then I realized I still didn't understand what it was. So whatever. I found myself zoning out a little bit with all the backstabbings because you knew, you know, I understood who's allied with who and who's deceiving who. But it was a lot of like triple crosses and a lot of things were very convenient in this book. Like people happened to be in the same room as someone else and that that's what the plot hinged on. And especially the very first chapter was just such a slog. The, the really long descriptions of things, really dry descriptions of things, perfectly serviceable at the sentence level, but the scenes just dragged. This one was... Not riveting. I feel like I had the opposite reaction as you guys because this is not my favorite book, like by any means, but I liked it. It felt less sloggy for the most part to get through for me than the previous book did. And I think it's because it had, well, number one, hapes, and number two, it was less Han being depressed 90% of the time. I mean, he was still depressed, but it was less Han. Yeah. Yeah, it was more Han going on adventures and having doors shut in his face and then having to get around those doors than him kind of trying to drown his sorrows. The image of Han in a business suit actually made me really laugh because my first thought was, wait, Indiana Jones crossover? Can we go that way? (laughs) (laughs) And it needed more solo kids. Like, that's why I don't like these two books. They need more solo kids. They really did. And even when the solo kids were present, Jaina wasn't present. So that was a weakness What's even the point? of it. Yes. Yep. I personally believe that that is an inherent weakness of it. Jaina was absent. I agree. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Should we just go to the next point in the notes where I just, I, for since you guys, the listeners cannot see my show notes, I just left a section open. For Megan and Rocky to have their small, long, <laughs> small, I can't even say it right, lot feels. I'm just like, here, 
here's your section to have them. So I'm just going to shut up and let you guys talk about that for a minute. So the glorious disaster finally appears in sort of in the flesh and also other people's flesh. And he's like wearing the spikes, the like animal spikes that the high-ranking Yusan Vong have. And there's this whole scene where a bunch of Yusan Vong get promoted, which means their shoulders get cut open. And it was one of the first scenes of many there will be more where i was just like this is gross and i feel uncomfortable but also it's like really it's certainly memorable that's for sure um Tavangla mostly he was very imperious in this book and we finally saw what he looks like but not too much else to add my real Tavangla feels start later i think when he has a little more like you find out more about what his motivation is right now he's kind of like He's a distant threat, right? And finally, the Yusun Vong are being useful. They're much more useful than the Peace Brigade. Peace Brigade, they've just decided to take the job into their own hands and actually are uh, doing pretty well at it. Oh my god, Rocky, your note. <laughs> I just read that. <laughs> yeah. You- <laughs> my note about the Peace Brigade. There are times when uh-huh. a drunk villain might be more useful. <laughs> Can we tell yeah, that true. I added my it's notes true. well past 11 last night? Ah, no, it's true, I mean, though. It's a good, it it's a good note. <laughs> it You're was, not wrong. Yeah, exactly. Like, throughout this whole book, there were several moments of, I don't know what's going on, but funny enough, the promotion ceremony for the Yuzhanbang where the shoulders were cut into, that made me go, wow, how did I miss how gory this was in the first read or the second? And then I went, actually, that's kind of cool. That's horrifying, but that's also kind of cool. Yeah, that's that's where I was. And especially because there are parts, there are other parts that are very gory. So I didn't, I knew that was something that was involved in the series. I just didn't remember it being so, being in this book. And we get to see a lot of the, like, Yusun Vong pomp and circumstance. And there's, oh, we yeah. get to see some of the attendant class and the priest class. So a little bit more about mm-hmm. what their society is like. Um, but mostly it's about pomp and circumstance and blood right now because they're still full on uh, you know marching you know creating their empire the one part I guess I'll add this here there's the part where Namanor is talking to um, I don't remember if he's talking to the huts but he's blamed for the Praetorate Vong's failure and he's basically like I, I wasn't working with them. Like, I was here and they were here, but I wasn't working with them. He just outright, like, takes no responsibility. It's <laughs> like, he's so slimy. And he it was such a good, one of like, my moment for him. favorite terrible people in the entire galaxy. He is such a terrible person. I want to slap him, but he is such a good, terrible person. <laughs> he just immediately tried to talk his way out of the fact that he was affiliated with the very group he opened the galaxy up for. And he was like, no, I don't know them. We just... We're just both here at the same time. Totally. <laughs> I carry yeah. gif. I, I don't know her. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, I see in some of my handwritten notes about, as I was reading, I see a note where I love how much more Yuzhanbang society gets fleshed out in all of this, just because we get to see all that pomp and circumstance. We see what they're doing. I felt like it was a really great piece of world building. And to be honest, that was one of the parts of the book that didn't make me go either, wait, who's backstabbing who this time? Or wait, what's happening? What? Huh? (laughs) You're just trying to get a sense of like what life is like on the regular for the Yusun Vong. And I enjoy that. 
Yeah, the world building is always, always going to catch my eye, no matter what. And those little details, like, I feel like it makes them all the more real. And I at least got the sense of they make sense in their world. Which is definitely not our world. No, Uh, no. and there's still, like, the cackling villain horde. But you start to see that there are lots of different moving pieces that keep the cackling villain horde moving. Well, Nominor is definitely the cackling villain sword at times. Some of the others at least <laughs> pretend to be a little more sensible. I liked the little the little touch, world building touch, um, where I think it was Svangong. I cannot say his name properly. Savangla, I I don't know that dude. Uh, <laughs> he he gives Nominor crap. He's like, listen. I'm not in your cast, so I can't promote you. But even if I was, I would demote you because you yes. suck. And I just thought yes. that yes. <laughs> I liked that and the fact that like because you're not in the same cast system, you can't do that. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Despite also, the fact it is- that you know Savangla is just like, please let me smite this guy. Yeah. Just like let yeah. me kick him. It's a power dynamic based around the fact that they shouldn't have a power dynamic, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Also, They're this not- is not in the notes, but I just mentioning cast made me think of something. There was a really weird line where one of the Vong mentions, like, oh, I think about the huts. Oh, she's like one of our lowliest cast women yeah. who have live yeah. births. And I have a, so many questions. I, I wrote that like, down too. I was like, I feel like they must have had an idea about that and then just discarded it completely because how would only like low caste women have live births? Like, what does that mean? Uh, So many uncomfortable questions. And I don't think that carries through. There's very little discussion about Sunbong birth, but there's a little bit. Like, do they have eggs? (laughs) Why does one caste have eggs and the other does not? I, yeah, I, mean, I feel like the next question after so how do they give birth is do we want to know? Sort of. We will I find do, out more than I, we want I might to know regret about that. some of this. <laughs> this is true. I don't remember. I don't. Here's the thing is I don't actually remember. I'm not allowed to Google that, this. <laughs> no, please. Please don't Google how to use Envolving have give birth because I'm not sure I want to know what the internet's going to say. No, no. But, I don't have enough brain bleach to Google that. Yeah. It just seemed like the strangest line. And it was the first thing I wrote down when I was- very weird. There are a lot of very weird things, I feel like, within this book. And that was only one of the ones that made me go, okay, that's weird. I really feel like it was written as something that was supposed to be a larger world building point. And then either because they realized it was completely wacky or because they didn't really care about what the minutia of, like, the women in Yusanbang society was, it just fell by the wayside, and maybe that's a good thing? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even blame anyone, because I derailed it myself, but um, so a lot of what I have written down to talk about sort of compares things in a way, and I felt like this book perhaps more than the other ones drew a lot on past story events like from the bantam area bantam era if i can speak correctly because we had hapes we had center point 
we had references to the dark saber stuff and then good old talon card shows up and i i kind of have to wonder if they were writing this with the with trying to be inclusive to new readers because you know they at least tried to be like oh yeah here's this info dump of what happened in case you didn't read those books but also i can imagine being a new legends reader getting to this and being like what the actual hell i don't know that i think inclusion of new readers was actually part of the deal here i think this series i mean i don't know what went on behind the scenes but i think this is part of that discussion of whether a consistent canon that always referenced itself was a good thing or a bad thing. This is, I think it was put in there to make sure that the canon remained consistent. And because the authors had these other characters to play with, they could say like, okay, who's on Corellia? Who can we run into? Who's in the, uh, the mid rim? Who can we run into? They were using existing characters because they had them. And because that was the, what was typically done. I think that's the kind of thing that the current canon is maybe trying to do less. Mm -hmm. But it's also something that serves two purposes, one of which is to get people to want to read other stories if they want to. And the other is just to make readers who may or may not be familiar with their stories feel like the galaxy's big. Um, Make it feel like it's consistent. Even if you haven't read all the others, you'll know, okay, Han had this other adventure. And even I found myself wikipediaing certain things here because there were series either i haven't read or hadn't read like recently so i think that's that could be a long debate whether this kind of bringing back other characters even mentioning characters like um gabriel captison and what happened to her um whether that's a good way to hook readers in or whether it's sort of a gift for people that know the canon and go oh i recognize that and that feels consistent or whether it's a way to, or whether it's a problem, whether it would push away people that were not pushed away by all the new stuff, but might feel left out of this. Yeah, I read a lot of that and I was thinking, hey, we could play Bantam Era Bingo with all of this. It felt very contrived, but it was also interesting because having read the majority of the Legends books referenced somewhere in there, it really did feel like I was playing Bantam Bingo and I was just going, I still don't understand Centerpoint very well. I'm still not entirely positive what it is. I'm still not, let's be honest. But it was it was really interesting feeling like trying too hard to shove it all in, but that's actually pretty impressive how much you managed to communicate. Do you feel like any of this was almost apologist? Like, I think Courtship of Princess Leia especially has a bad rap in general. And do you think any of this book was trying to be like, okay, we acknowledge that that was kind of silly, but we're going to do a more serious version of it now. There were a couple of lines talking about hapes that kind of, I thought acknowledged the pulpiness of it, but then also did not touch the pulpiness, which was, I'm used to it. So it was fine for me, but it could feel like, like the way I Jedi kind of tried to rewrite the Jedi Academy trilogy. This almost tried to re- frame hapes honestly i felt like it, it doubled down on hapes and courtship yes. like it actually reinforced the ridiculousness to me because it felt like it was trying to be like no we are a serious upstanding society yeah about that there's <laughs> the part where leia's like i know you were formed by a group of pirates and that's why you're like this but do you have to be like this 
Yeah. See, for me, okay, I, I unapologetically love heaps. I love Courtship of Princess Leia in all its trashy Bollywood musical glory. But also, <laughs> it bothers me that this book, instead of... I would have liked what they did with heaps more if they had put Tenennial on at the forefront and made it less yes! about a soldier. Because we already played this game. We already also- went through... Leia becoming is Leia going to become the queen mother? No, Tenennial's there. Like, I just thought it would have been so much better with less of him and being all muscly and Fabio, and better if she was the one making the decisions. It yeah. really drove me up the wall a lot because isn't this supposed to be like a very very matriarchal society? Why is yep. Isolder ending up kind of the center of attention when he's kind of supposed to just be eye candy? Isn't he? Yep. and like use him that way come on guys (laughs) (laughs) Todd Shoup was very catty and her like I love her conversation (laughs) she's terrible of course Todd Shoup is catty period that's just that's just Todd (laughs) Shoup I totally went to high school with a whole bunch of her just less homicidal (laughs) well that's good (laughs) didn't we all (laughs) (laughs) and I think that is the case of like whether what you thought of the original will change whether like obviously I think that's a conversation we're having right now. Does this feel true to courtship or does this feel like a satire yes. of courtship almost or is it a satire of itself? Whatever. But um <laughs> I felt like Tatum was kind of like she should have she and Tenennial, like you said, should have both had more power. Whereas her conversation with Leia was this side thing to Isolder's fight to the death and was portrayed as not having as much political power as his like staged fight when in fact they are a sort of democratic society there was still a vote but I Solder had to be the flashy one about it <laughs> and now I'm that, remembering yeah. things that happen in a book further down the line where this just all f- without spoilers it feels even more bizarre that a soldier is the one at the forefront and like noticeably being the one talking to Leia in public and all of this, and Tenennial is not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, stay She's tuned on really that. briefly, but... Well, she gets yeah. the... Well, she she kind of gets the like, blame. I think that's not too much of a spoiler to say that she gets the blame for what happened with their fleet being destroyed, which doesn't make sense, because it's all a soldier's fault. Everything's a soldier's fault. When in doubt, blame she's him. she's a Jedi. Oh, right. There need to be more Tenelcock. Can I also add that? Yes! Please, seriously. That would have infinitely, infinitely improved this book. <sighs> Is this the first because, time we got Tenelcock yeah. in this series? Have we seen her before? Uh, she, she might have been mentioned. Jason might have mentioned her, but this is maybe the first time we actually saw her. I don't remember. I think so, actually. Uh. Hold on, now I'm checking the Wook. What did we do before Wikipedia? Like, seriously. <laughs> uh, I was mostly we just writing our own thing. notes. Yes, I was going to say. We made notes in our fanfic documents. Yes. Yes, or we had, like, she... extra documents full of reference and things yes, like that. full of charts. and. Uh. It says she was in Hero's Trial. I don't remember okay. that. Probably also, like... Well, I don't know. In a background Jedi scene, I guess. Yeah, a Jedi crowd scene. I don't want to reveal the true extent of my patchy memory, so. (laughs) Yeah. 
Do, do we want to take a second to talk about how awesome she is or save that for later? I, I also know a lot that, more to talk about later. Yes. Okay. Yes. And I know that will be a very long discussion later. Yes. Ooh, yeah. She was present at multiple Jedi meetings, including the one talking <clears throat> about Elan. That makes sense. But yes. <laughs> point is, if you guys don't know who Tanelka is, you should. And she's awesome. That's to the yes. readers, not to you too, obviously. Uh- <laughs> she is awesome. She has one arm and a lightsaber hilt made of a Rancor claw, right? Tooth. Rancor she tooth. Is, she is actually that badass. Yeah. Her introduction in the Young Jedi Knight books was her deciding that she just wanted to scale up the wall of the Jedi Temple one day because she could. <laughs> She's basically American Ninja Warrior because I got bored. <laughs> That's yeah. actually a really good comparison now that I think of it. It is. Oh, I love Tenelka. What I don't love is Center Point Station. Because, <laughs> yeah, I felt like this... Out of everything that got mentioned from Legends, I felt like this didn't, I didn't get why, except to be a big thing. Like, I don't know. I didn't get the point. I did not get the point of Centerpoint Station. That was the Hapes fleet that did. Okay, that was bad. <laughs> yeah, too that soon. Oh, <laughs> That was mean, even for me. But, yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of questions that I think may or may not have been answered in the book in which it originally appeared, including why did it bond to Anakin? Is it connected to the Force? What's with the ancient aliens that created the Corellia system? Which is both, like, I kind of love that because it's just so science fiction. It's so, it like, is. you know, the ancient beings brought these planets here in a way that we cannot comprehend. It's like Corellia is the Stonehenge of the galaxy far, far away, but on a massive scale. But on the other hand, what is Centerpoint Station? How does it work? Why is it here? We just don't know. I liked the choice Anakin had to make. I was amused by Han's sleazy cousin, Thraken Sal Solo. But it all just felt very much like it felt very, very bantam and your mileage may vary. And not in a good way, sadly, because there are big parts of the Bantam era that have a lot of nostalgia for me and things that I love just because when I read it. But like this was more like okay, how did we get ourselves entangled in this one this time? Absolutely. And I don't want to say like Obviously, I think all of us have a lot of love for that era, but Mm -hmm. it's the fact that it's a super weapon, too. Like, they had to – I feel almost like it had to be explained away because someone out there somewhere was going to say, well, why don't you fire Centerpoint Station at some point? Like, it's – Yeah. Sort of like that's why they went to Hapes, like, because it's there. Because you have to address it because it's – Sooner or later, they'd remember they had it. Yeah. Actually, part of it almost feels like they went, oh, crap, we have Hape, we have the Hapen fleet, and we have Centerpoint. How can we neutralize both of these? <laughs> and went with Ouch. both of them. And yeah. yeah. And I have to say, like, I actually really enjoyed the Corellian trilogy. Like, I love it because that was, I'm pretty sure that was a series of books in which Lando went to go find a wife and their Han had to fight a giant otter. But also I was like... <laughs> That's what Salonians are. They're giant otters. Like they are, and I kind of love that. Corn horns. Think of that one. era. It's fine. The more 
Excuse me, where's that brain bleach? <laughs> <laughs> I like how you just stopped. Just, I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute and then I like move that on. It took, I like that it took a second for you to register what I was saying. <laughs> and then I went, oh, so this is why there are parts of this era that I'm like, wait, that happened? That actually happened. Okay, then. <laughs> I should clarify, Cornhorn did not sleep with the giant otter in the Corellian trilogy. <laughs> He did that before the X-Wing books even started. <laughs> I'm gonna like fall out of this chair at the rate I'm going. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Point Maybe is, this is I... why it takes me a few tries when it's like all the gore or other weirdness in these books, where it takes me a couple seconds to go, oh, that happened because the Bantam era has warped my meter of normal. Wario loves you, Rocky. He loves all of us. I just, I will almost be surprised if I do not write Yusan Vong fanfic by the time we're done with this show. And I will have questions and you may have to provide answers. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not like, you're not going to need brain bleach, but this era lends itself to strange questions and strange answers. The things you Google that later on make you wonder in the course of fanfic writing, if you're trying to write anything Yuzhanbang culture related, you start Googling things, then you're going, have I just gotten myself put on some kind of watch list? And problem? that's yes. like, like, I emphasize, like, this is all, this is all PG-13. It's just that's bizarre. <laughs> it's very I'd argue bizarre. the series sometimes stays decently within the R rating. Yeah. For the most some part, of the it does. Stuff. Yeah. That book we all love later on is definitely (laughs) rated R. (laughs) Yup. The apocalypse now of Star Wars. There are a lot of times when I sometimes wonder who allowed 14-year-old me to read some some of this, and then then I realize, eh, I turned out mostly okay. No one let us read it. It was Star Wars, so obviously it was wholesome. Duh. Totally. (laughs) But yeah. Um... Did either one of you guys want to add anything about the Darksaber stuff or card except to say Shadda Jakal is awesome because I'm going to say Shadda Jakal is awesome. Yes, that there definitely. Were... <laughs> the references to the droid that Han knew mm-hmm. was definitely a case where I didn't I didn't get the reference. Like yeah. that was, I think, referring to some to the Han Solo trilogy or, or something. And mm-hmm. that's where I was like, oh, this is how it feels like to not know the history but i know like i know card pretty well i don't really have too many feelings about card um except to continue to say that it was a reference heavy book i have more to say about baffle later oh okay this will be fun oh yes there (laughs) we go okay all i had to do was scroll down in the show notes so the next thing i wanted to do was kind of despite myself like i try to keep legends and canon separate in my head but for some reason i could not stop comparing the two books and i blame han could granted i've been thinking about a lot lately because there was you know a movie you might have heard of it solo star wars story but let's start with the fact that once again han has a beard and there's nothing really else to say except that han has a beard um (laughs) i wanted to look at like the difference between 
Han and Leia in canon versus legends, specifically in this era where we're a couple decades past. And then after they've had to deal with a very painful family event. Because some of the criticisms I've seen uh, leveled at the at canon is, oh, well, Han, what do you mean? How dare Han and Leia be broken up after, you know, their son goes evil? Like, that would that was not the Han and Leia I knew in, in the Legends universe. That would never happen. Huh. And then I get to these, these two books and I go... Met, like, real people? Yes. Well, probably not. But then I look at these books and I'm like, um, did we all forget that Han just vanished for four books? Like, is this yeah, a thing that yeah. we just collectively ignored? There were two parts in this book that reminded me specifically of that conversation about the EU. And I think one could kind of go down a rabbit trail of thinking of, okay, they had this many years together compared to this many years because Han and Leia did like, they lived together for quite a while in the EU. and But now when they're separated, you see they have this sort of ease with being separated. And the way the part that really came out was toward the end when like the kids and Leia were home and Han was away and they had a conversation where he and Leia basically, it reminded me so much of their conversation in The Force Awakens where they have part of their dynamic is that sometimes they're going to be apart and they were very, you could tell they were hurt. You could tell things were unresolved, but they, you could also tell that they knew each were working according to their nature. The yes. other thing that reminded me a lot of that was there's a line where Leia's thinking about Han. I think it's when she's on Hapes because there's a couple parts where she's reminded of when Han was courting her, right? And she says, um, there was no excuse for his continued silence. She was as angry as she was worried. And I kind of like that. I like that uh, Lucino acknowledges that she has a right to be angry. She's, he... Is doing something wrong here and he's trying to lose himself. He's losing himself in like deadly situations and situations that I don't think she would envy him for, but he is just trying to lose himself in what he thinks his old life was like or what he thinks his life should be like or just ways to keep him from remembering that Chewie's gone. And through all that though, it really is painful that he's just not talking to Leia. And I'm, it was really just one line, and I almost wish there was more of this. But she does not... She has the right to be angry at him, and this shows why. Yeah, I yeah. definitely... Sorry, I, I had a thought and then I lost it because I was looking at Twitter. Um, <laughs> I lost it. Oh, my God. Leia, right was to be about- angry. Was it about um, canon things? Because I think that kind of conversation, as you said, that conversation happens with, like, is Leia, does she have a right to be angry at Kylo in the same way? Although Han is not doing Kylo-level things right now, but he's not being a great family member either. Oh, no, I know what it was. It was about canon and Han, you know, they have, where she has the line in the, the Force Awakens conversation about, I don't know which one of them has it, about going back to what they did best or what they knew. Yes. And in in the same way, Han goes back to what he was because he doesn't know what else to do but to get in the Falcon and get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I don't have anything past that. We're lucky I remembered it. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I very much understand the acknowledgement there that sometimes they work best 
doing things differently. They have some very different problem solving methods, regardless of how good those are. And yes, tragedy can absolutely completely destroy a family in any way, shape or form. And I think all of us have run into an example of that in real life. And I actually found that to be very realistic. We will revisit that within this series later on, but significant tragedy can really just completely break up families, break up marriages. It happens. Unfortunately, everyone has their own ways of dealing with that. And that was one thing that really struck me about this series in my first read in this. The older I get, the more I see the more I see of people's drama in dealing with things. Major problems absolutely destroy families and it just adds one more touch of realism to what's already a really screwed up galaxy. And you'll see later the impact that it has on the kids too, like the way they are mm-hmm. kind of shaken up by all of this. Yeah. I'm sorry, I had yeah. a message I had to reply to. Um, <laughs> I swear, Twitter's a good thing. When Phillips call, you have to listen. Yeah, it's it's yeah. sorry, it's coordination stuff for tomorrow. Um, <laughs> War but coordination? Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, it's uh, there's a convention tomorrow and I'm helping out at a table. So I'm like, oh, oh, messages. Um, but yeah, was there was there anything else that we wanted to necessarily talk about the with the solo family stuff, or did you want to go to the note that I think Megan put in there? And cause I was going to ask you about the Luke line. Oh yeah, so um, Luke has a brief moment where he talks about Jason's ideas about whether the force should be used for attack or for defense, and he one of the the things he brings up is Anakin Skywalker's fall and subsequent redemption and kind of what the force was doing through Anakin. And I really like this line because these books did come out during the prequels. They were, we knew exactly what he was commenting on um, around this time. Let me find the year just so that I'm sure 2000. 2000. After. Okay. So Mm. it was just after the Phantom Menace, but uh, TPM. Attack of the clones. Sorry. I got my acronyms confused there for a second. Attack of the clones hadn't come out yet. Um, so I thought this really matched well with what we saw in Attack of the Clones, though, because Anakin has visions and acts on them and everything goes downhill from there. And Luke is kind of saying that he feels that Anakin was the focus for the Force. He was the thing that the Force refracted through and broke up and became all the splintered parts of the galaxy that happened after the Republic fell. And I think some of this came from Luke's research into Anakin and the EU, which I'm not going to get into that because there was a lot that was written before the prequels came out and it may or may not match. But Luke kind of dealt with his father a lot. And this was a good way to show the way he thought of the force moving through people and says that Anakin Anakin was just an aspect of that. And I liked how that commented on Jason's ideas because Luke is very... So there's a lot of Jedi who were very headstrong in this book. And in this, <laughs> the previous books, too, we get Worth, we get Ganner, mm-hmm. we get Corrin. All of them kind of learning the same lesson, which is stop being so arrogant and rushing into things. Luke is the opposite. Luke is the monk who is like, you want to be the lens for the Force. But that 
standing back and letting the force flow through him doesn't always work for him either. But that's, he's so strong in that philosophy right now and can trace it back to the old Republic. And I think that really contrasts him with the rest, basically the rest of the Jedi. Luke's not doing a great job, like imparting that mentality on them, but he can trace that mentality back. And that's, that's about that. I I think I'm struggling a little bit to put into words what I liked about it, but mostly I liked that it we're so far in the future right now with the the new Jedi Order so far from the prequel era, but I like that this is a little shout out to here's Anakin Skywalker's story, here's how it connects to what's happening now. There was a passage about two thirds of the way through the book that I actually I think I posted on like Instagram about it laughing a little bit, but about the Jedi. Where like the senator from Corellia, actually, I have to read it because you could tell the book came out before Attack of the Clones. It is against the Jedi code to spearhead an offensive on the battlefront or in any other arena. And this, the new Jedi are no different from the old. Skywalker and the rest are attempting to do what the Jedi have always done, uphold peace and justice without turning themselves into full-fledged warriors. Yeah, that didn't go so well in the Clone Wars. Maybe that was what it was supposed to be like, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just thought, I mean, it's it's sort of what you were saying about, like, but not really, I just, it made me think of this, but about how Anakin was, how, what Luke thinks he should be doing, and I'm like... I feel like your records were corrupted, Luke. Not Luke necessarily your being, fault, but you tried. Yeah. yeah. Luke is being reactionary kind of in yeah. the opposite direction a little bit, which all sorts of EU stuff. I've talked about whether he should or shouldn't, but he's kind of taking – he's being hesitant here. And I'm always so quick to defend Luke whenever, like, when people say, like, Luke was such a terrible teacher in the NJO. Like, I'm always like, no, he tried his best. But – his best wasn't really working I can also right understand. now. Yeah. And I can also almost understand that, like, the crisis there, because Luke was basically trained very, very quickly with the idea of, oh, crap, we've got someone who actually can probably do something about Vader and the Emperor. And he was trained very quickly with a very warrior mindset a very different style of training than what he's doing with his new Jedi or what was traditionally done with the Jedi. And then suddenly when faced with a massive crisis on a similar or worse scale, depending on who you ask, I can almost understand Luke kind of freezing up a little because this isn't something he expected to meet. And this also isn't really something I think he ever wanted to consider having to prepare for. He's also gone to the dark side at this point in the EU. Like he has... Mm-hmm. felt the consequences of the kind of actions that he thinks might be happening in the future. Yes. And trying to handle that, trying to trying to kind of cope with that and the idea that maybe he can't save them all, things may blow up in his face, his best might not be good enough. There's so much going on there that it almost makes sense that Luke is kind of floundering. Mm, I didn't get as much of that his best might not be good enough than you as you did from this particular book, I think, but that definitely yeah, reminds me of the Yeah, I feel like I got it like trilogy. more as an Yeah, I feel like I got it more as like an overall thing within the whole series, especially like in longer term retrospect, but I definitely can kind of feel like the crisis of faith feeling. Yeah, and in the fact that he doesn't act directly. And I think part of that 
is because he's he's center point station. He's a super weapon that they can't, you know, put into the battle too early. But it's also he is kind of withdrawing himself, which is again mm-hmm. similar to what happened in the sequel trilogy. Yeah, so I almost feel like everything that happened on uh, Ithor kind of worries him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the Deadeye did get heavily involved, and then things went very poorly. Yeah. 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 Very, very (sighs) poorly. The other thing that reminded me a lot of the canon universe in here is Baffle, who wants to free other droids. And there's the scene where the droids, like, um... The droids who are essentially enslaved the same way humans are on the agricultural planet, Han, like, helps free them. It reminded me a lot of L3, both in Solo and in Last Shot. I like it. Yep. But then again, I really love L3, so. It was, (sighs) you know, the droids' rights conversation in Star Wars is forever. I feel like they're forever almost getting... To like, maybe we should, they should be free. And then they're like, no, then they swerve aside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, a- I didn't like have too much else to say about that part, except that it just, it reminded me of L3. Yeah. On a slightly lighter note, which I think this can lead us into the last discussion point I had is, oh my God, there are so many men. Yes. Like, Especially when we end up in the middle of what's supposed to be a very matriarchal society and like, um, I feel like something isn't entirely right here. (laughs) It's not what it says on the tin. The new books have been spoiling us with like, not just leads, but like the background characters, the ones who like are just sort of there. They have a couple lines. They have an important scene or two. Like there were so many, there's so many more women in the books now that I'm like, this felt very, very jarring to yes. go back to. Yeah. There's so many male politicians that all felt very samey. And it's annoying. I, found myself- I read this as escapism. <sighs> yeah. I said that. <laughs> yeah. I, Worth Skitter was fine, but I feel like he, he reminded me a lot of just, he had the same arc that Ganner went through two books ago. It just ended differently. Yeah. 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 Also, should we talk about yes. good old Worth? Yeah. I mean, and also, the Yamas. who else got creeped oh, out oh, by that at least a little? It was so gross. It was so gross about it too hard. Like, it felt uncomfortably yes. sexual at points. And I'm like, why are you massaging like, it? I'm like, sorry, but this is, that was like the point where I'm just like, this is not going the direction I remember, and who the hell let me read this when I was 14? Yeah, <laughs> Did I Star let Wars myself is read this? <laughs> I think this was the first time that I I, full, I actually really got grossed out on this route through. Yes. Yes. It's, uh... <sighs> it was definitely uncomfortable. And I was trying, I was trying not to think too hard about it, but so I was thinking about the kind of what the Yusan Vanguard said, and they mentioned that the Yamask needs kindness to grow, right, to merge with the ship correctly. 
But the Yusan Wang interpreted that as like, okay, we're going to get a bunch of slave labor and massage it. And I was kind of like, Ugh. you know, that's not what kindness is. Like, that's not how that works. And I think it showed their skewed, their skewed morality well, yeah. but it was also just gross and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then reading like with their minds and everything. No. And oh, it's all so, like wet oh, slapping gosh. noises. No. <laughs> Welcome oh, to the God. new Jedi it's... Order. <laughs> No, oh, it's so gross. <laughs> no. Okay, so who else? No. I don't like who this. Who else here is noping out of the Yamask chamber and back into the war here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh god, that's so gross. That's uh, um, speaking of the rest of the war, I I did not really interpret Worth as a hero as much. I felt that Kip was the hero. And Worth was kind of the one who tried to be a hero, but, like, he, he did all the right things. He was a little conspicuous about them. Like, he did heroic things, but he didn't get any reward for it, that's for sure. And Kip had to come clean up the mess or possibly make more mess. Make more yeah. mess. Because how I sort of interpret it from the start was, so he has a character arc, you compared it to Corrin, I'm going to compare it to, well, I'm not going to actually compare it to you, but I'm going to compare it to an arc for a character where the payoff comes later. And I think you both know what I mean when I say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but where, you know, Leia's like, oh, hey, dude, g- get on the damn ship. And then he doesn't. He does the hero thing, but he goes in to save people and he's like, don't worry, help has arrived or whatever his thing is. I almost felt like it was his interpretation of what a hero is supposed to be, but yeah. it's not actually heroic. I agree. That yeah. was also one of the scenes where things were super convenient. Like, he just happens to end up next to the people that Han's trying to find. And I think the his ultimate fate was that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he died for it. Like, he wasn't... It, the coincidences didn't work out for him. But Mm -hmm. especially in the beginning, I think he thought he was doing the right thing because things kept working out, basically. And then he kind of the it's almost like um, like in The Last Jedi, there's a little bit of like it's about failure. Right. It's about characters that think they're doing the right thing and then it ends up going badly. It was sort of like that. Yeah. There yeah. are so many things that start out as this is totally a good idea and then later on everyone's like, yeah, that was not a very good idea. I feel like that's an ongoing theme. The new Jedi Order. Whatever you're planning, it's not a good idea. <laughs> it's gonna go badly. Just assume that it's not a good idea and you'll probably survive <laughs> a little bit longer. Yeah. Actually, no, I'm not always sure if that's <laughs> Well, that kind of leads yeah, right yeah. into what the Huts were trying to do, right? I think the Huts thought they were going to end up on the right side and pretty quickly realized they weren't either. I lost I track like, of who the Huts were siding with. I don't know because somewhere in the middle of all that drama, I just I was just thinking of the TV trope, chronic backstabbing disorder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at first, I kind of under... I thought that I understood that they were trying to basically make an arrangement so that the Huts have some territory and the Yusun Wang have some territory and then when the Yusun Wang made it clear that they're not divvying up the place 
the Huts took their information to the hu- the Coruscant. But then there was the stuff with Vicky and the arm, the military committee, and that's when I really got lost. The Coruscant politics really lost me. The Coruscant yeah. politics kept twisting me around, and finally I went, all right, so I'm just going to assume that everybody is backstabbing everybody else, and who they're backstabbing depends entirely on their mood and is very subject to change without notice. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if part of the reason I was confused about like the last hundred or so pages of the book was because it was genuinely confusing and it was much much of a cluster as I thought it was, or if it was because I was playing Battlefront while I was reading. Um, <laughs> I'm starting to think it was the book and not entirely me trying to kill various people in the star war at the same time (laughs) i was actually reading this book and focusing on it fairly well but i was still not entirely able to figure out who was backstabbing who today yeah (laughs) because it was changing so quickly and perpetually that after a little while about all I determined was that the huts are on everyone's side and no one's side and possibly their own side, but it depends on which hut clan you ask and whether someone's a member of both. Mm. Yeah, I got lost somewhere around there. In my defense, Battlefront just debuted Han's two outfits from Solo, and I really wanted the credits to get them. So <laughs> I was very distracted. <laughs> See, I was also power reading because I realized that otherwise I wasn't going to have a chance to read, and I needed to do that, so yeah. And also because you wanted to read the new Warcraft book. Uh, Yes, that too. That's actually the fastest I've read two books in one day and actually known what was going on in both of them. I was very impressed. I was power reading this because Revenant Gun came out, so... That's actually the fastest I've power read two books in one day since I got out of college. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I'm very glad I don't think glad I, I made this book linger, though. I'm very glad I did not read two books in a day, because the last time I did that was uh, Dragon Con, Friday of Dragon Con, Force Friday, and that was not a pleasant experience. Yeah, I don't think my days just aren't structured like that. That would be a challenge for me. Yeah. Well, it did help that I wasn't at work on Tuesday, so I had a lot of reading time. Yes. That will help. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so that reference I was going to make last time, the comparison, should I hold off on that one still? About Greece. Oh, no, I think we pretty much, not that we know everything about Vicky Shesh now, but I think this is a good time to talk about her because we know, like, by the end of this, she's clearly working with the Yusun Wong, or she yes. did make a terrible yes. pun about it's out of this world. And I was like, oh, seriously? God, yeah. <laughs> but she's clearly the, yeah. the traitor. Spoiler warning, Vicky Shesh is the traitor. So if you want to talk about yeah. that comparison, I think this is an okay yeah. time. All yeah. I really have is that Carice Sindian from Bloodline is the spiritual successor to Vicky Sesh. Because yes. they're both senators Definitely. who care you know, I themselves. very much, I very much have a similar image in my mind yeah, for their appearance. Yeah, they were very elegant, and I think that does show the marked difference between the number of women in the cast because Carice is like one of mm-hmm. several, 
And Vicky is like mm-hmm. the one lady in some the of these meetings. Only one. <laughs> and then she goes and like There are more aliens than there are women, and there are many moments where I'm just going, We are missing something in this yeah. galaxy. Woman. It's, we're, it's all uh It's too homogenous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yes, that was the that was the reference I've been sitting on. Yes. <laughs> for a month now. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's an appropriate mm-hmm. one. Yep. Well, okay. Is there anything else we want to talk about this book aside from adding Worth Skitter to the Jedi Death Counter? We're at three now, by the way, guys. Yes. <laughs> and I f- keep forgetting to count Kip's a jerk references. I think Kip was he wasn't He's he's rebuilt his squadron. He wasn't exceptionally a jerk this book. He did try to save people. I think I would probably spare him this book. What do you think, uh, Rocky? Yeah, I feel like he was actually pretty decent in this book, but I also feel like the barb was very different than average. <laughs> yeah. There are some other books where, yeah, he just has a little sign taped to him that says jerk. He was the only yes. one who didn't have chronic backstabbing disorder in this book. Seriously. Shockingly. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I, I did really like the mental image of him and Ganner pretending to be brothers and like part of Card's crew. Yes. That just made me happy yes. for some reason. <laughs> oh, so one of my favorite images in this book was in the very beginning. Actually, it's Jaina's one appearance, I think, where Luke like Luke's talking to Card and he walks into like the main the main the audience chamber in the Jedi Temple, and Jaina is literally holding Jason and Anakin apart from each other, like at arm's length. <laughs> and I thought it was so funny and like such a there it was there were a couple moments in this book where they acted very much their age. Like they're really young. And they act, it reminded me of like, they're kids, they're fighting. So they're gonna, like, they're gonna do that. And there's a moment later where Jason perches on the edge of a chair. And it was so, like, he sits on the arm of a chair. It was such a like, I did that when I was a kid. I don't do that anymore. It just made me think of how young he is. Yeah, yeah, I want to say 16, keeps, but I, keeps I don't really know It keeps really disconcerting me that they are actually still quite young because they don't feel like it anymore. It just really weirds me out. No, they usually don't. Yeah. yeah. And the writing doesn't really push yeah. that. Like, I don't know. Even, like, the sitting on the chair mm-hmm. thing kind of struck me, but I don't necessarily think it was intentionally supposed to make him seem young. Because if they pushed that... It would be a whole other level of horror. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. And honestly, this series was the thing that cemented my headcanon that the age of majority is quite a bit lower than it is in our world, or at least kids are treated as adults quite a bit younger, especially high ranking Jedi kids yeah. who have the whole galaxy at their fingertips. Oh, the one thing that stood out to me about that was when they're with the Jedi and and Luke or someone thinks about how they're looking at all the kids and the oldest is 12 and they specifically call it Tahiri. And I'm like, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. More on that topic later, but oh no. (laughs) I I didn't want to bring her up yet because I will talk about her forever, but you really get the sense of like, she's really young and she's going to be really important. Is that did they did he actually get the age right for her? Because I, I mean, thought she was a little. It's bit not a spoiler older. to say that her and Anakin are friends. I thought she and I Anakin like were she was the same age. As older later. Yeah, I feel like she and Anakin were the I same thought age. She was I thought a, she was like fourteen ish by this point. 
Like 14, 15? That's what yeah. I thought. I thought she had to. Well, because Anakin's 15 yeah, I thought in these. Because he's a really year and a half same younger. age, pretty much. Okay. It I'm, might I'm gonna... be like a, uh, an error. I'm not sure. But I agree I'm that hoping she, so. she was written as older later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But more on that in two books, right? Two books. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, we're almost there already. <laughs> oh man, that's gonna be a. It's gonna be. Fun. It'll be fun. It Everything will be fine. Will. It'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be great. But anyways, all right. I think that's about time to wrap up. So, uh, Megan, where can we find you online? Oh, you can find me online on Twitter at blog full of words. I write for Den of Geek and um, co-host the Blaster Cannon podcast. Our episode about Solo is up now. I also have bylines at StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider, and uh, podcasts for Tashi Station at Western Reaches. Rocky? So I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter, and I am also on Of Dice and Droids as one of the many wonderful tabletop players there. And, well, a whole bunch of my writing is here and there on 1138, even if I am semi-retired for now. Subject to change without notice. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it works. Uh, And then you can find me on Twitter at Chaos Bria. Uh, You can also find some of my writings at Tashi Station, where I also co-host the KanjiCast podcast in addition to this one. I am... uh, Yeah, what am I going to say? I I also run uh, White Hot Room, which is my geek fashion blog. And I also have bylines at StarWars.com. Uh, So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. Join us next time when we read Balance Point by Kathy Tires. Don't forget, you can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Bongcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. 